Hey, Richard Gottlieb. Chris Byrne. How you doing? I'm doing just fine this morning. We got a great guest today. We do indeed have a great guest, someone who I've known and had the pleasure to talk with over the years, and somebody I just always admire and and love hearing talk, so I hope everybody will as well. This is the Playground Podcast. I'm Chris Byrne with my co-host Richard Gottlieb, and we are brought to you by Global Toy News, Kid Stuff Public Relations, and The Toy Guy, and our great guest who has been waiting in the wings patiently is none other than, than Richard Dixon, President and Chief Operating Officer for Mattel. What a pleasure to talk to you, Richard, and thank you for making the time. I am happy to be here with you guys. It's good to uh, good to be invited. I've I've been hearing your podcasts and all the different amazing guests that you've had, and the, the focus on obviously toys, which is you know near and dear to all of us. So I, I love it, and it's good to see and uh, be part of it. Thank, thank you. Well, welcome to the panoply of guests. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, so this is. A- <laughs> We want to start out because there's a lot of big news and really exciting stuff coming out of Mattel. But I, I really wanted to ask you first and foremost, how are you guys doing under COVID? We've we've talked to several of your executives. We've got a couple more we're going to be talking to. How are you guys holding up? The toys are great, but how are you guys holding up? Well, look, I think you know we're all incredibly challenged with uh, the current circumstances that we're all faced with, and our first and primary concern was our our people. And frankly, they're our most treasured asset and ultimately what truly makes Mattel. And I can tell you, I have never been more impressed. And I, I've been at Mattel through thick and thin and a variety of peaks and valleys. But our people have truly come together, the, their passion, resilience, and uh, ability to, to really stay the course has been incredibly inspirational for me and the leadership team. Uh, we have uh, obviously persevered through lots of different challenges, you know, making product, uh, shipping product, marketing product, working with our retail partners um, to get the, to get product to the market and uh, ultimately are doing as well as we could expect during such a challenging time. And in fact, what we see from a consumer perspective is truly a revitalization, if you will, around toys and the importance of toys, not only to have fun, but in, in learning and development and family time. And it's, uh, it's resonating both with our own population and consumers all around the world. That's what we've been hearing. And the outlook for toys for 2020 is pretty good. I mean, we've, we've gone along as an, as a, as an aggregate industry, sort of flat one or 2% up, down. It, it really, it really varies. But this, this year, a lot of the people we're talking to and a lot of the people we're reading are, are very confident that this is going to be a good year for toys. Well, you, you know, both both of you, and, and we're all part of this incredibly magical industry. Uh, and, and generally speaking, we, we fare well during recessions. Uh, so to some extent, we knew just based on history that we're, we're not quite recession proof, but ultimately we, we fare well during recessions. This particular challenge actually creates to some extent a bit more of a tailwind for the industry with families staying at home, parents wanting to occupy their kids. Screen time, of course, has its place, but there's a lot of it these days, right? So parents looking for other ways to stimulate you know, imagination and play. And I think it's fared well for the entire industry. And I've been impressed, frankly, with our industry, both from an innovative perspective, 
and the way that we've reacted in marketing and ultimately really driving interest in brands and toys with consumers around the world. Uh, Richard, uh, first of all, uh, this is Mattel's 75th birthday, I believe, which brings me to some of your iconic brands. And Barbie's having a, 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 an outstanding year this year, from what I understand. Part of that may be a desire for nurturing. Parents are buying dolls because it's a tough time in, in the world and kids need nurturance. But what is your feeling on why Barbie's making this, having this great year? Well, Richard, first off, you are right. It is our 75th birthday. And, um, and I, feel, I feel incredibly lucky to be um, a part of Mattel during its 75th year. It is a wild year <laughs> to feel celebrating uh, anything, but ultimately it's a big moment for the company. The company was founded in 1945. And, you know, I love the story. The origin story of the company was started in a garage. And when you think about that today, I mean, we were pioneers back then starting in a garage. I mean, you know, of course, Amazon and Microsoft and and Google and Apple, these are companies that also started in the garage and, and changed the world. And, and we like to think that our toys and our brands have similar impacts uh, in, in the context of their pop culture recognition today, as well as generations that have enjoyed and played with our toys. Barbie is, of course, the queen of Mattel's castle. We are incredibly proud of her 62-year history. And she looks great. <laughs> she, she's, she's never looked better. Uh, and in fact, when you even think about how she looks, she represents diversity and inclusivity uh, like never before. In fact, the most inclusive and, and diverse doll offering out there. We, uh, we're incredibly proud of the progress that we've made. Our team is just so passionate and and diligent about keeping Barbie on the forefront of pop culture and keeping her relevant, whether that's as of, I think even yesterday, a, a blog that Barbie has with her best friend, Nikki, talking about racism to innovative toys like Color Reveal, which is literally one of the most exciting products, I think, of the year to the traditional dream house, which is um, having a blockbuster year. So Barbie is an iconic brand, a pop culture conversation, one of the most proud, I think, toy properties in the industry. And we are really uh, enjoying a great year with Barbie and have huge plans for her in the future. So all, all good. Mattel at 75, Barbie at 62. It's really a, a thrill to be part of. Richard, just something you just said really struck me was that this was started in 1945. And when you consider that the the country had gone through 30 years of two world wars and a depression. And here it is, 1945, and, and the world had looked pretty black. And this is such an optimistic thing to do, to start a toy company in 1945. And you think that optimism is part of the culture? You know, Richard, that's a, that is a great question. You know, at first, I think you're, you're incredibly on point there. You know, in 1945, it was, you know, post-war exuberance, right? I mean, we were sort of uh, done with it. It was Southern California, entrepreneurial, adventurous. And so I think the DNA of Mattel is, to some extent, um, about that garage spirit, entrepreneurial, invention. The name of the company uh, uh, on the garage was Mattel Creations. I mean, just the name, Mattel Creations, what's happening in there in Creations? Yeah. The people in it are creators. Uh, they're inventing the future of play. They're, they're, they're taking swings at what's going to make people excited and laugh and, and happy and ultimately creating magic. And 
there was magic that was born out of that garage. And while today, you know, I like to say we're, we, we just have a little bigger garage. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, it, it's true. You know, we take a lot of pride in trying to keep that original spirit, that DNA, invention, design, entrepreneurship, and, and truly making memories uh, out of our product. And so I do think it's alive today. And when you think about, as you mentioned, the two world wars and all the various different worldwide events that have gone on during Mattel's history, there's nothing that can stop this company from persevering. No pandemic is going to stop us and we're ready to face anything. And in fact, when you look at our, our history and the industry's history, you could argue television was born during that period of time too. We, our founders, invested virtually everything they had on a TV commercial with their friend Walt Disney down the block. <laughs> and, you know, while that was a very risky move at the time, it ultimately changed the course of, of the company's history. From Saturday morning cartoons to, you know, space at bricks and mortar, 30-second uh, commercials, you know, all of the things that I mentioned that got us here are actually not the same things that are going to get us to the future. As you know, you know, commercials aren't necessarily what they used to be. Bricks and mortar is now, call it platform agnostic with e-commerce. Uh, and the game has changed, but Mattel is certainly on top of it and continuing to pursue innovative ways to keep our brands out there and drive consumer interest. That leads me into a question I wanted to ask you about the kind of innovation that you guys are doing. When I started in this industry many years ago, people always said the toy industry reflects the culture. It doesn't lead it. But I see us at a time right now when the changing media market, the changing consumption, changing social patterns really has given toy companies, especially toy companies like Mattel, an opportunity to lead conversations and not just follow and chase kids. And and that's something you guys are actually deeply engaged in right now. You've got a couple of programs that that we definitely want to talk about. Mattel Playroom that you introduced for parents and educators, your Playfair initiative, which is part of the whole move towards diversity, which reflects a dynamically changing country and social fabric. But also you've gone back to your beginnings with a program called Mattel Creation. So I'd love to talk about those. Can we jump in and talk a little bit about Mattel Playroom first? Because I think that's so important right now. Sure. And thank you for, for noting some of those initiatives. And um, look, I, I, I think that, you know, particularly in the toy industry, you have to sort of walk a careful balance between, between being too trendy and on trend. And, you know, if you're, just, if you're just too trendy, you might miss the mark or you were ahead of your time. And when you really see the breakthrough is when you're right on the cusp of trend, whether that's through innovation or tying your brand narrative into cultural events or conversation. And the playroom that we launched in March is a great example of being on trend at the right time, really listening to our consumer and reacting in the right way. When we went into lockdown, our team leapt uh, into action and we created a meaningful way to ease the burden that we were hearing from parents and caregivers by launching a concept called the Mattel Playroom a free digital destination that we designed to encourage kids to keep playing. The hashtag keep playing, which was part of the marketing campaign, was designed to just do that. And we featured 
activities that they can download, games, content from our portfolio brands, and literally launch this for parents and caregivers and kids during a time that they needed it most. Within, you know, I think it was just a, a, a few weeks, we had over half a million visitors. Uh, we got great response from parents thanking us for the platform. And it gave them easy opportunities to print coloring pages and activities and free ready, you know, ready to play games. We had DIY projects and more. And we continue to use Mattel's Playroom as an informative platform for parents and an engaging play experience for kids going forward. So a moment where we reacted based on what our consumers needed and ultimately a successful endeavor that will now continue as part of the Mattel narrative. The Mattel Playfair initiative is seeking diversity. And I think people forget how long Mattel's history of actually being diverse is. Back in the 60s, you had one of the first African-American fashion dolls. And I get told all the time, well, Barbie wasn't black until 1980. And I said, Barbie wasn't a brand until around that time. Barbie before 1980 was one blonde girl in Malibu. And as the brand evolved, it became all encompassing. Any doll of that nature could fall under the Barbie brand. And then of course, with your fashionistas, where you did not just, not just skin tones, but body types and styles and really reflecting more of the world. But The Playfair Initiative is really an organizational thing that you guys are doing, which is really designed to expand your creativity, really. Yeah. First of all, Chris, I I would dare anyone to challenge you on the history of any toy (laughs) brand, but in particular, (laughs) in particular, the Barbie brand. I know you are an avid toy toy collector and and certainly a, a a connoisseur of our history. So I appreciate any time that you stand up for our, our brand's history, but you're, you're hundred percent right. You know, Barbie has had milestone breakthroughs that have always represented um, what we believe the right thing to do was, and ultimately using our brand as a canvas for the cultural conversation. 2015, we changed her body. We introduced choices. We, we expanded into 24 different skin tones I mean, we, we have been on this um, and making progress for a long period of time, despite what sometimes becomes the stereotypical conversation of the perception of Barbie. It's changed dramatically over the course of many years, but in particular, the last few years. When the racial instances really caught fire, if you will, in the world, we, we found ourselves again sort of facing uh, inwardly and saying, you know, have we done enough? And we found ourselves with an important challenge, to be honest, despite the fact that we were making progress on brands like Barbie and other aspects uh, of our company, we really took it on as as a corporate challenge of how we were going to stand against racism and ultimately how we were going to look inwardly uh, in our organization and figure out what we could do better and what we could do more of to solve ultimately the, the challenge of our time. So to address the the current events around racial equality, we made a company commitment to addressing racism, injustice, and uh, and violence, particularly against the Black community. Uh, And we worked with our organization to build a manifesto from our people, laddering up to an approved uh, manifesto with corporate messaging. So it was not just a top-down direction. This was really a community effort. We call the program Play Fair, which again, it was really a thoughtful approach and a meaningful language that speaks to Mattel's language and ultimately trying to create a play 
fair playing field within Mattel and promote that idea to the world. We launched it internally to the company and it articulates the actions that we're going to take at both the corporate level and throughout our brands to address racism, diversifying our workforce, investing in the next generation of the Black community, and continuing to offer product, content, uh, even experiences uh, that ensure that stories of the Black community are seen and heard. And Chris, Richard, you know, I, I could not be more proud, and the question is so relevant, where I could point to actions that we're taking. This is not just words, they're actions. Barbie just recently did a vlog uh, with her best friend, Nikki, that she literally talks to Nikki in real kid language about the challenges that Nikki has had just based on her skin color. And she does it in a way that's simple, it's easy to understand, that hits just enough emotional cord for kids and parents to appreciate what we're trying to deliver. And ultimately, I think it's examples like this that bring our Playfair initiative to life, have the impact in the world that we hope we can have, and you'll be seeing a lot more uh, of those type of programs as we move forward across the portfolio. But certainly, it's an issue of our time, and we believe that we have the right path and the right spirit to do what we can to solve it. And we're going to take a really quick break right here to bring you some PR insights from Kid Stuff Public Relations. This is the Playground Podcast, and we'll be right back. Playground Podcast is brought to you in part by Kid Stuff Public Relations, and we've got some PR insights from Lisa Orman. We're talking a little bit about why play matters. During these times that we're facing, we found that play and quality play things do matter more than ever. It's really quite a privilege to work in an industry that offers that to children. And you can hear my entire conversation on this topic with Lisa at KidStuffPR.com and check out what Kid Stuff might be able to do for your products. Ed, we're back. This is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, and co-host Richard Gottlieb. And we're continuing our conversation with Richard Dixon, president and COO of Mattel. Richard, Chris and I had a really nice experience yesterday. I had contacted Columbia University here in New York, and, and they have a program for, for graduates of historically black colleges and universities. It's wonderful for the School of Professional Studies. And and uh, we put together a panel. Uh, had, it was a very diverse. And we spoke to them about the toy industry and about careers in the toy industry. And one of the students asked, well, what are the roadblocks to entering the toy industry? And I don't know how you feel about this, but I often say that us in circus people are the two professions where people don't think of as a career path. They come out of college. They don't think about going into the toy industry. And so some of it yeah. I said to the students is in their heads to think about the toy industry as a career path. But I'm interested in knowing from you, your perspective, not just African-American students, but how do college students go about seeking not just design jobs, but you know, operations, logistics in Epitel? Richard, that, that is such a relevant uh, question and, and one that you know, we, we're, we're taking on because I agree with you. you know, it's not like um, there's a lot of kids growing up today, well, kids, we'll call them college students that are thinking about the toy industry, unless, of course, people like us and the, and the various people that, have, that work in the toy industry grow up with these sort of memories and, and appreciating the magic that goes into the toy industry. I'll tell you, I think that one of the things that is becoming more relevant for this generation, which is amazing, is purpose values, various different ways that they can contribute and be part of something that's meaningful. 
Mattel's mission has always been to empower the next generation uh, to explore the wonder of childhood and reach their full potential. You know, that just by virtue of, of what you would want to be part of, I think speaks to today's uh, graduates and today's, you know, call it millennials that are looking for the attachment to something that's going to be meaningful. And look, while Mattel's mission is clearly defined with purpose, the toy industry is, is meaningful. Making memories in, in child development and unlocking imaginations, you know, these are incredibly meaningful parts of everyone's lives that I think if we personify it more to students and to colleges and really reintroduce them to the meaning and the power of it, I think it's a no-brainer. And again, as you pull out, engineering, design, marketing, the behind the scenes of a toy company, the logistics, the supply chain, the manufacturing, the accounting, the legal, I mean, the legal. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's so much, there's so much um, incredible opportunity to be part of a toy company that I believe that we, we collectively as an industry have to do a much better job uh, personifying that to the next generation. One of, if I could just borrow this moment, one of the things that I think we're doing well and celebrating as part of our 75th is reintroducing, if you will, Mattel to a next generation through our purpose, our promise, and actually our new brand called Mattel Creations, which of course is the namesake of the company, but is really presenting Mattel now in an innovative, modern, and design-led way that celebrates our nostalgic toys with collaborators, pop culture artists, and even our own designers take, that's going to really, I think, um, put Mattel in a much more modern, progressive light, using our nostalgic power in a really pop culture relevant way. I can't wait for you to get more acclimated with it and for it to roll out uh, to the consumers around the world. I think it's such an interesting initiative, the Mattel Creations. I was impressed by the going back to your roots and in the naming of it, of course. But also, we live in a world where people don't give up their toys. And it's really sort of a post-World War II forward kind of thing. Whereas, you know, my joke has always been, whereas my mother collected Hummel figures or <laughs> porcelains or things, today's women collect Barbie because it was so important to her life growing up that she wants to continue that relationship. And if there's a Barbie on a shelf and you look at it, that's an emotional power and an emotional connection, not just to the brand, but to oneself and the evolution of oneself. So I'm just, I'm thrilled to see all of this stuff, all the things that you have done to keep these brands really vital. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the specific initiatives under this? Because I love the artist stuff and all of this. Uh, I'm very excited about this. We're launching in, I think there's a countdown clock right now yeah. on Mattel Creation. So this is the landing. We're about to take off. We've had what we'll call appetizers that we, we launched, you know, an incredible relationship with Tesla back at Toy Fair, which was a lot of fanfare through the name Mattel Creations. And then we came out with some awesome, I mean, really cool product for Comic-Con. That blew out, uh, of course, as we as we knew it would for under Mattel Creations. And now, within I guess a couple hours, as Richard points out, one hour, yeah. thirteen minutes, and eight seconds, seven seconds. Oh, now six seconds. No, it's <laughs> from, right. from when we're recording, which is we are recording on Friday the ninth uh, at about ten eleven in the morning Eastern. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, we're we are we're about to launch the next phase <laughs> of Mattel Creations. Which 
And to be honest, it, it, you know, while it's on the year of our 75th anniversary, we're really launching a new brand. I mean, Mattel Creations is going to be an e-commerce and content platform that's going to feature curated items for sale from our archives and from interpretation, from collaborations around the world. Our own designers are going to be celebrated for their interpretation of some of our toys. We're going to honor past relationships, present relationships. We're going to give people a peek into what it's like to make a toy and the magic uh, that goes into every one of our products. More importantly, it's going to really profile some of our greatest brands in relevant ways that will just, I think, drive collectability. As you said, Chris, the, the emotional connection that people have with our brands, whether it's nostalgia or whether today we believe, you know, toys, if done in a way that is delivered and properly presented, they're really art. You know, I mean, when you look at the sculpture and the figures and the way that we present our toys today and with the right collaborations, it's art. And in some cases, toys are art. And in this case, art is going to be inspired by toys. And that's, I think, what's going to be an interesting adventure for us. And as you know, you know, we've done collaborations since the beginning of our, our time. You know, I mean, as I mentioned, Walt Disney was, of course, a friend and a partner at the very beginning of our company. But whether it's Travis Scott with Hot Wheels and, of course, Carl Lagerfeld with Barbie and recently Kylie Jenner with Uno. Uh, we even partnered with Harry, Duke of Sussex. No longer Prince. Okay. Um, no longer Prince with, uh, with Thomas, the tank engine. So I, I think it's going to be one of, the, one of the next you know big businesses that we have, but one of the most fun new brands that we've launched in, in a while. Richard, I'm noticing that, um, and, and this speaks to diversity, that uh, on the artist collaboration clinic, uh, collection, uh, Gianni Lee, Christina Martinez, uh, distorted, distorted from Magic Eight Ball, right? Yeah. And Travis Ragsdale. Three of them are female, and I'm just wondering: is that intentional? Are you trying to give uh, provide women with a greater platform? I'm not sure that it was specifically intentional because we we are going to have an ongoing program in relation to collaborations showcasing emerging artists who are inspired and led by our brands. We're not necessarily targeting or picking based on gender or race, but ultimately based on inspiration and talent. And these particular artists, as you mentioned, are the first four that we're presenting as part of Mattel Creations, but there's a lineup to follow of men and women and, and however they define themselves along the way that ultimately is going to apply their artistry and their inspiration using our brands as a canvas. Uh, Gianni Lee from Masters of the Universe is, is just genius. I mean, I, I can't wait for you to see what, what he's created for Masters and Christina Martinez for Barbie. Uh, she's a painter. She was uh, inspired by Barbie's evolution, uh, particularly over the last 60 years and, and her hand, her art applied to Barbie is going to be, again, a, a beautiful part of our legacy. And I think that as we move forward, recognizing that our toys inspire so many people and art uh, is ultimately something that we need more of in the world and creativity, which is essentially what birthed Mattel, needs us and needs us to cultivate it, invest in it. And so a percentage of proceeds with Mattel Creations is going to go to help fund Project Art, which 
invests in underdeveloped communities, art programs, our own designers are going to be spending time teaching and building curriculum and ultimately inspiring the next generation of creators. Mattel is really known for your research and your consumer insights and and how you're able to respond to the marketplace. You do some of the best research I've seen in the toy industry. As you go into something like Mattel Creations, how did you get a sense of the appreciation of design at all levels of the culture? You know, I sort of see this sort of new trend in appreciation for design going back to the Michael Graves teapot at Target as <laughs> as really one of the first sort of mass market high design types of things. And I see that now throughout the toy industry with different evolutions and things I wouldn't mind having on my coffee table if people came over. What is your sense of the culture as being more appreciative of design and art? First, let me thank you, Chris, for calling out our our insights group. I, I agree with you. Well, it's easy. I, I, <laughs> I've been surrounded by them for quite some time. They're, they're brilliant. Uh, the, the insights that we get from around the world and our team who, who drives that is bar none best in class. And it's an important part of the inspiration for everything that we do. You know, understanding our consumer, uh, their wants, their needs, their opinions, it guides everything that we do at Mattel. And I know you've talked to uh, Chris, Chris Down, our, our chief design officer, who is just so eloquent in how he'll describe design, but ultimately being a design-led company is about really understanding your consumer and designing for them, whether they knew they needed it or not. It's our job to create that need and that want. And I think today, to your point, people are appreciating design more and more as part of their life. To some extent, I think people used to think design in relation to fashion or fashion designers. And now I think that there's a, an appreciation for how design fits into your life. Apple is a great example of product that has been design-led, consumer-driven, that really speaks to integration into your life. Even when you open the box, right, the sound, the feel, the texture, it all matters. And so I think there are companies out there that have truly broken through from simple ways of presenting product or needs into driving real wants. And I think that speaks to the toy industry. We are unfortunately not a need business, we're a want business. And so we've always been about creating wants, which is about design, engineering, magic. Product is hero. It, it has to be presented in a way and or be featured in a way that delights the consumer. And that I think is the origin story of our company and the origin story of toys mixed today with a real keen eye on aesthetics and the packaging and the experience and the sounds and the lights and the various different ways that we ultimately delight our consumer is all about great design. Richard, when you, you talk about great design, I, I, I think about those people who really appreciate great design. I think we all do, but I, I think uh, great design really appeals greatly to, to folks who are a little more affluent. And, and these folks tend to cluster in large American cities on the coast. I'm sure in Europe, too. Do you, you think there's any credence to the notion that we need to rethink the average price point? I think that there, particularly at Mattel, uh, you know, which I'll speak for, 
we have a very democratic approach to our product development and, and pricing structure. I'll even use again Barbie or even Hot Wheels or any one of our brands for that matter. We have a dollar car, uh, or in some cases, 99 cents, uh, depending on where you are and, right. and retail right. retail decisions. And then we have cars that, as you know, Chris particularly have gone for over $100,000 in terms of the collector nature of how desirable and scarce and and the ability that we have to create demand for these iconic figures, in this case, vehicles. Barbie, no different. You know, We've got the most incredible value for low-priced dolls, and we go as high as we can in the context of collectability. So I'd like to think that, look, you know, play is universal. It's our job to make sure that as many kids in the world have the ability to play. And we are on a mission. And you're going to hear a lot more about some of the work that we're going to be doing in underdeveloped countries and addressing certain communities that, frankly, even a dollar is, is a lot of money. And how do we ensure that these kids have the opportunity to unlock their imaginations, to use toys for their purpose, which is to escape their current reality and have fun in their own imagination and create their reality. And in some cases, be inspired by what that toy represents in their imaginative play that help can define their future. So truth is, we've got to do a better job as an industry, making sure all kids have access to play I think this holiday season is a great one that we're going to be looking forward to. Consumers need our industry more and more. They need our innovation. They need our excitement. They need us to delight and entertain their kids. And at the same time, behind the scenes, make sure that child development is on the forefront of our mind. Cognitive, social, emotional, physical development happens with toy play. And that is a responsibility that our entire industry should understand, take note of, and feel a lot of pride in. We can't be more excited about this season just based on the needs that consumers have. And I think our lineup is, bar none, one of the best I've seen in a really long time. Richard Dixon, President and Chief Operating Officer of Mattel. Every time I talk to you, whether it's a toy fair or an event or here, I come away inspired and more in love with this industry than I was going into it. I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us, and I know our listeners are going to really benefit from all of your insights. Well, thank you, Chris. Richard, thank you so much. And listen, thank you for doing what you do, bringing industry experts and, and the stories of our industry for us as an industry to hear about and learn from um, is really important. And your passion and work for what we do and what we represent is, uh, is contagious. So I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. Hopefully I'll be invited back, but, uh, but keep doing what you're doing. We're all listening. We enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we will be right back. And now we come to the part of this show that we call the end cap, where Richard and I toss about some ideas that have become top of mind this week and that may have some implications for the toy industry. And Richard, you wrote a really interesting article on Global Toy News that you're calling the deserted schoolyard, what it means for the toy industry and for kids. And I found this particularly fascinating and really important for people to pay attention to. Uh, give us a sense of what you were writing about. The schoolyard is the um, social network for, for kids. It's where children go and exchange ideas and where kid influencers uh, in their natural habitat, <laughs> without a lot of adults around, 
share their passions for toys, entertainment, you know, video games, movies, etc. I remember when I was in elementary school, some kid brought bullet shells to class. They were they were they were fired. They weren't bullets. They were bullet shells, and they were brass and shiny. And I was thinking, like, wow, I really want to have some bullet shells. But that, that didn't go out well at home. But my, my point is, is that there are very, there are kid influencers, and when we see fads like uh, silly bands, uh, fidget spinners, etc., these don't become popular because of a marketing campaign. It's, it's because some child and some playground went to school with one of these was so influential that other kids wanted the product and then it migrates from playground to playground from town to town state to state and ultimately country to country and so we are losing that right now and to the most part school is not in session i don't think that being at home and being distant via the internet uh, is the same experience as physically playing uh, with other children. I completely agree. And I think that after I read your article, I was starting to think about, well, what are the influences on kids right now? Certainly we talk a lot about social media and TikTok and all of these things. And they're really good at building awareness. So kids are aware of them. But what really builds demand is word of mouth. And word of mouth is person to person. And it's that it's that kid you mentioned on the playground with bullet shells or Shopkins or LOL surprise because kids want to be part of their community. And that's something that's inherently human is this nature to belong to a community, identify with a community. And for kids, that's very often expressed in we have all these similar toys, whether it's Hot Wheels or whatever. And you look at some of the big fads of the past, things like pogs, the papaya, orange, guava, yeah, cardboard yeah. things. I mean, it was a disc of cardboard, and yet they were all over the place. Beanie Babies Clicker. as well. Remember clickers? Remember clickers? Absolutely. Clacker, clackers. Those, oh. those, uh, they were acrylic balls that you had, and you smashed them together. And uh, I bought a set recently on Amazon just uh, to show my nieces and nephews how insane we were. That actually started out as a, an indigenous Australian weapon. That's where that wow. that's where that came from. But yes, all of these things because I want to be like so and so. I want to be cool, and we have lost that. And where does that come from now? And Chris, I I think that someone might say, well, what about Ryan, this kid who has turned being an influencer into a multi million dollar business? And I think the huge difference is that on the playground, it's it's innocent. Nobody's paying these little kids to go out and promote something. It's truly uh, sharing a passion. And, and I think the innocence is just not there on TikTok or, or, or on uh, YouTube, et cetera. I think the word you use, passion, is, is absolutely completely right on because it is that human connection that we make through the toys. And even if you're watching something on a video, you're still not connected to it in a personal way, you become more of a passive observer as opposed to an active participant, which is what happens on the schoolyard with a lot of these toys. And so we have undermined that kind of personal casual network for kids. So it does make it more of a challenge for something to take off. I think it's going to hit us in a little bit in the pocketbook because there really is no hot toy this year. There's no kind of populist 
toy that comes from the bottom up. But it's also, uh, it's sad for kids. I'd just be really glad when this thing's over. Well, I think that's one of the big issues that a lot of people have been talking about is what is the social emotional impact and the really cultural trauma that has happened because of everybody being separate. And it's not just like we moved into this. It was all of a sudden, it's kind of like the Berlin Wall, right? You go to bed one night and you wake up the next morning and the world is different. And once again, what we see is we really can't wait to get back to whatever quote unquote normal is going to be and be able to be together because that's how toys and human interaction really does happen. We're so happy you listened to us. This is the Playground Podcast. I'm Chris Byrne with my co-host Richard Gottlieb, and we are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, Kid Stuff Public Relations, and The Toy Guy. We hope you'll come back and play with us next time.